All right, welcome back to the Jigs Up. My name is Darcy, and joining me in person today is Jason. Hey, buddy. Here in living Technicolor. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's because we're so excited to talk about Métis National Council financials. Financials. It's the one yeah. thing that puts us in the same room at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, hey, it doesn't get any better than this. So I hope everybody's locked down for the excitement. Strap um, your seatbelts on. We're in for a bumpy ride. <laughs> Absolutely. So we have the 2018 numbers and I guess we'll start with revenue, which was at almost $8 million. It was $7,958,716. For which, the MNC. This for is the Maintenance the, National Council, not the, any of the others. That's right. So this is just for the big kahunas. That's right. Yeah, that's right. The national body. The overlords. Of which I think uh, some of the... Um, who's the uh, vice president again? Uh, isn't that Chartrand? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, that was up from five five 5,388,300 in 2017. So, an increase of about, I think it was about 48% of an increase. So, so, so Jesus, Justin Trudeau has come through. Absolutely. At Those, the national the, level. The money is rolling. So, uh, Jason, what do you think the biggest expense was? Oh, if we say traveling expenses. <laughs> Come on, first guess. First guess, let's see. What would be the biggest line item? Would it be legal fees and things like that? Professional fees. Professional fees. All right, you get a gold star for that one. Woo! Th- yeah, this is a big stretch, man. <laughs> <laughs> you were cheating. You were looking at my iPad. Yeah, upside down. Um, so professional fees were a little over $2.5 million. Travel and accommodations and meals. Oh, I see. I was wrong. Yeah, that was actually the biggest. It was $3.2 million for travel accommodations and meals. So just for travel accommodations and meals, they spent $8,857 per day every single day of the year. 365 days a year. Yep. Wow. So that total of those two items alone came out to $5.9 million, which was higher, was like $600,000 more than their 2017 budget total. $8,000 a day. How many people work there? I don't know, man. Wow. It can't be that many. That's but, crazy. Uh, but in, earlier this month, they did go to Tinta, Peru for the, uh, what was it? The uh, It's international something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was international remember. indigenous. I can't, I can't remember where I found it, but. It was like the International Andes, Indigenous of the Andes gathering, mm. which I'm not sure why we need these guys to go to that because we're not in the Andes, but I guess it's all about team building. It's and good, a good free to trip sh- to Peru. Good to show that Métis support for the uh, Indigenous people in the Andes. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure they worked really hard and, and it was really tough on, on them to go to, to Peru for whatever, five days for free. All expenses paid, right? Yeah. So it's, a, it's a hard life. It, it's a hard knock life. Yeah, absolutely. So those those two items alone out of the whole budget or out of the whole revenue was 74% of their entire budget was spent on professional fees and travel accommodations and meals. Now, did it does it give us a breakdown at all about what in the wide world of sports is a professional fee? <laughs> oh, you're so funny. <laughs> uh, no, it does not. It also doesn't give us a breakdown on... The different the what they spent on actual travel and accommodations or meals as uh, separate items, it doesn't give you a breakdown on salaries. It's probably one of the shortest financials out of all of them. 
So is there a separate category for, for, for salaries? There is. And it was about, uh, I want to say, I think it was about 900,000 that they spent on salaries. Six to 900,000, somewhere in there. So is that like six people work there? I'm assuming, I'm <laughs> assuming that the president probably makes anywhere between around 150,000 a year. Well, I can't imagine in this day and age at that, at that, what they would consider that level yeah. that there's anybody making less than six figures. Yeah, no, and I would say probably high. So like even if you said conservative, well, but even if you said that there was, you know, they made a hundred thousand. Yeah, that was six people. Yeah, but then you take the travel and expenses, and divide it by six. Yeah, exactly. Wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, and and actually, I don't know if I would feel better if salaries were. I think I would feel better if salaries were more of this budget. Because then at least they're employing people. That I think that would mean they were employing more people. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when you're spending $8,800 a day on food, hotels, and flights, like, holy. That's more than wages. Yeah. And, the, and, you know, as someone who's run businesses before, if you had a corporate portfolio where you were employing people and their wages were half as much or less than their expense accounts, well, that organization should be really driving some serious impact. If you were sending yep. people to those kinds of places with that kind of frequency, with that kind of FaceTime, yep. with, with that kind of engagement, yep. the uh, the engagement value from whoever you were talking to or spending that time with should be off the charts. You would think. Absolutely. And that's the thing is like, and I, I think that's probably the pro- biggest problem with this is there's no correlation to what they did. Mm-hmm. So... They spent this money on travel, accommodations, and meals. Now, I'm going to totally go out on a limb here, but let's pretend for a minute that they did spend it traveling because of the MMIW inquiry, traveling because of uh, land issues, or something like they were, they were negotiating in different provinces on things. I think that's fairly reasonable for everybody to expect that, okay, well, if you're a national organization, and we'll use air quotes on that, but uh, that you travel throughout the country. However, when you compare this to what the AFN or AFN um, spends on travel accommodations and meals, and they literally are a an actual national organization from coast to coast to coast, they spend way less, considerably less, on both of these things, these items, than the Métis National Council. So how does that work? You have a a bigger population of people spread out on across a bigger chunk of land. Um, with more diversity as far as regionalities and different Oh, absolutely, yeah, the breakdown. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be part of that, you're going to have to travel all over the country constantly. And yet they spent less money than a Métis National Council who's only in, say, four and a half provinces. Well, and but then only has four counterparts. Yeah, which, what are the counterparts doing then? So if you, I think what my next step is, which I didn't do for the show, which I just thought of now, uh, is to take all of their travel accommodations and meals, see what all of them spend in total in a year, and think about how much money and that is used, that's used for that rather than programs and services. And that's my next thing with this is what programs and services they offer as a Métis National Council. Well, to stay on that topic, though, for a minute, if we were talking about that kind of travel, we're talking eight grand a day mm-hmm. in travel. The, the truth of the matter is, is when have we seen any of the representatives from the National Council in any of the local communities? Exactly. You know, when Conklin had all that BS going on up there, yep. uh, where was the, the, the national guys? 
Absolutely. Uh, when they have events in Edmonton or Calgary, you know, we got yep. a significant Métis population here. Well, you never see them. No. And so where are exactly they traveling? Yeah. And I think that's the, the point. I think is in any other organization, if you had that kind of money being spent, you'd have that kind of reciprocal engagement with the people you're supposed to be going to go see. Yep. Unless the fact of the matter is they're spending $8,000 a day to not see Métis people, but engage with other political organizations or like you said, yeah. go to Peru and, and meet with other indigenous people and it's not meant to go to Métis people. Yeah. Well, and and the, the thing that bothers me about what they have is there is a complete lack of accountability or mm-hmm. transparency. So when you look at AFN financials, you can see, let's let's say they spent 50%. So they spent a million and a half on travel. But they also have breakdowns. So uh, for specific items like the MMIW in Korea, they will have a, lo- a whole thing in there of expenses. that So travel accommodations and meals for that was 200000 And then for another thing, or perhaps they were part of a, a you know, sat in on land negotiations or, or, you know, treaty issue negotiations or something. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of all broken down and it's all got to be reported like that. So they, mm. they kind of have to account, okay, well, we spent this overall and here's all the... Here's the 12 things that we traveled and spent that yeah, travel combination. This is, here's $8,800 a day. What did you do? No idea. There's nothing in their financials to say, well, we went to Alberta for Fort Mackay's Métis days. We went to BC for this. We went here for that. We went this. There's nothing. It's just, trust us. We're good guys. Well, We're we good don't, people. And that's just it. We don't know, are people just using this for gas money in their cars to go back and forth to work? Is this is exactly. this somebody making six figures a, a year, but then is running a six-figure bank account expenses, for expenses, for meals, yeah. for hotels, for, yep. you know, gas back and forth to work? You know, is that, where does this, slu- almost a slush fund go? Well, and and there was a, there was a situation here in Alberta where there was an MLA that was, uh, charging mileage to drive from i think from their drive all around their riding and which is fine but then they were also charging mileage to drive to edmonton and back every day to the legislature which was less than 40 kilometers but they were putting it in as like 185 kilometers a day type thing so it kind of makes me wonder are these guys like i wake up in the morning i get my car i'm gonna go to the office so now i'm getting paid for the travel from my home to office. And then, well, we just buy lunch every day for the staff while we're there in the office. Nobody brings their lunch. Like, cause to me, that's what that says. When you're spending $8,800 a day, like 365 days a year, somebody's getting a lot of food and a lot of travel. Like, I don't even know how you'd spend that. Well, it's not even so much travel. It has to be right off for expenses. Yes. Day-to-day operational expenses for the people that work there. Yeah. Because you've been to Peru. It doesn't cost yeah. $8,000 a day. No. You could send everyone in that office there and it would only cost $8,000 a day, not $8,000 a day per person. Exactly. Yeah. And that's their budget. Yeah. So it's it's a crazy <clears throat> huge amount. And we've talked about this before. Uh, if you have a meeting with the Métis National Presidents, why can't you video that? Why can't you do video meetings? Mm-hmm. Um I've worked for corporations that work all over the world. And guess what? They don't travel. I mean, they do travel, but not for every meeting. They have video conferences. And these are all set up. And you talk to people in different countries. So why can't we do that in four, five provinces? Mm. Like, it, it, 
And we've talked about that extensively before, so I won't harp on that too much. But really, like three, this is three million a, um, a year. It's a three million dollar slush fund. It is to, it's, to it's cover food, fund. gas, my new beaded vest, my Absolutely. you know, yeah. my trip. Sure, my trip to Peru, but. The reality is, it's a slush fund that that's totally. honestly being used for personal expenses. Yeah, because I'd and I'd like to see. Okay, so when you talk travel, does that mean okay? So obviously hotels and meals. Let's. But is it meals, or do they get per diem? So my my thought is is likely what's happening is, okay, pay for the hotel rooms, which they're probably getting the best suites, most expensive hotel rooms they can. So you get you you need the business suite. Well, you're not staying at the. I mean, even if we're being modestly fair, yeah, they're they're not staying at the the hotel you and I would stay at. No, and they're not getting the double queen rooms, the standard rooms. They're, they're not. The, yeah, they're not doubling up. No, they're getting the business suites with the mm-hmm. uh, you know ensuite and whatever. So it's probably the most expensive hotels. They're flying business class or first. There's no way they're flying coach. Um. But on top of that, they're probably getting a per diem as soon as they leave home. Mm-hmm. But then if you have a meal with, say, three other people, you're expensing that as well on top of your per diem because that doesn't come out of your per diem. That's now a business meal. And so I think there's a lot of stuff like that going on where there's probably a heavy, heavy amount of double dipping. And then if you drive anywhere, you're probably getting paid kilometers per kilometer for your personal vehicle. But then do they also get a car allowance? I mean... Who knows? Mm-hmm. There's there's nothing in these that would they would tell people what is what is the travel and accommodation. And that's my big problem with this category, and mm-hmm. historic always has been my big problem with this category. Yeah, is when you're looking at wages and what we're paying people and 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 the amount of people employed in this office compared to what this huge fund is. Yeah, you know, look how many millions of dollars we're talking about that yeah. really is unallocated and unaccountable. Absolutely. You know, we don't even know on a per person breakdown who it goes to. We don't know who yeah. in that office is traveling to go see what, for when, for where. Yeah. It's And we don't know, like we just talked about, what they are the average daily expenses that are coming out of that bank account, out of those millions of dollars. Absolutely. And I, I think it was only a few years ago that these guys all got caught putting in expenses that weren't actual expenses. And nothing really happened from that. But who's to say they're not doing that? So... If I send, if, you know, uh, my wife, because I believe their their spouses all work for the MNC, MMF, all that. So if I send my spouse off on a trip somewhere and she stops at an indigenous shop to do some shopping, is that now a business expense? Well, probably. That's probably what's happening. And so we can speculate, and this is the problem with these vague numbers, is now we have to speculate as to what they're spending it on. Now, if they actually had a breakdown, we could go, okay, well, I spent this much on hotels, this much on meals, and here's where they went and what they were doing. And it's the same thing with professional fees. What what are professional fees? Are they, we're assuming that they're legal fees, but are they? Are professional fees some other thing? Are they lumping a whole bunch of things together? We have no idea. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, and that's the problem we're left to assume. So you would assume that yeah. there's probably some legal fees. There's obviously going to be, we would hope, some accounting fees. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, there's things like that that are going to yep. take place. You're going to have some courier fees, Absolutely. you know, that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, here we go again. Yes. I, what's the dollar figure on that one? Absolutely. Uh, it's $2.6 So another $2.6 million. Yes. That we 
classifies professional fees, of yep. which we don't know who the professionals are. Nope. What we're expensing to that nope. professional. Nope. And so on a monthly basis, what does that break out to? Yeah. You know, that's serious change. Absolutely. And and again, if let's let's pretend that a small portion of that is probably your accounting fees to do the audit and everything per year. So let's take I don't know, two hundred fifty thousand out for that. Which in in their budget terms is a small amount, but that seems a little high to me. Um but you talk about professional fees. Okay, so if they're spending, you know, $2.3 million on on lawyers, on what? Which cases did they take to court? What cases are they fighting? And I think there should be a correlation. Well, we spent X amount fighting this case. Or we spent X amount fighting for rights and took it to court on here. So that people know what you're you're fighting for. Like, that to me seems... This stuff seems all very basic to me. From a... I want to be accountable and transparent to the people that I'm here to serve as opposed to what it seems to me their attitude is, is it's our money to do with what we want while we do something perhaps for you on, well, you know. And that brings up the good point though. When you're looking at the two biggest portfolios uh, from an organization that tells us it's a government by and for Métis people, the reality still is, um, there isn't another level of government in Canada that is allowed to have giant empty boxes in yeah. their financial reporting statements. Absolutely. You know, we know absolutely what the prime minister spends. Yes. What he gets paid. We know what the prime minister gets yep. paid. We know what his expense account is. We yep. know what he submits every month in that expense account. We know absolutely. where he travels. Mm-hmm. We know his travel budget. We yep. know when he went on holidays to India. We know every penny that he spent exactly. out of the public offers. And yet here we have an organization that says, hey, we're government. But when we want to be accountable to Métis people, eh. Yeah. Just take our word for it. Yeah, exactly. Trust us. You know, we're good. You know those millions of dollars? Yeah, we're good for it. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the the real true ridiculousness. I mean, I can go online, like you said, and get my city councilor's expenses. Mm. I can get my MLA's expenses, and I can get my MP's expenses. I cannot get the expenses of the Region 3 president. I cannot get the expenses of Madam President Audrey in Alberta. I can't get the expense report of Chartrand or Card- all of them, any of them. No, no. So we, you again though, and this will lead into the second thing we're going to talk about today. But we'll we'll get there. But it's when you call yourself a government, there's a responsibility that goes with that, depending on the type of government you are. But even and that's the point though is even when you brought up before, the AFN is accountable. Mm-hmm. They line item and they you know if you're talking, you know I, I can't tell you how many times we've heard lately that the AFN is really just a lobby group. Yes, And so if, that being said, as a lobby group for Indigenous people, look how well they are yeah. accountable for the money that they get to do the lobbying. Absolutely. And yet, so we have the, the Métis National Council, which we know is really just a lobby group. It really is. They might tell us they're a government. But the truth is, if they wanted to be a government, wouldn't they want to be striving to have the same accountability yeah. that other levels of government have, to have that transparency for its people, for the voting electorate? Well, and... I think for me, that's even it's even worse when it comes to the thing like the cartel organizations, because the government of Canada wasn't set up to serve the people. Really, it was set up on behalf of the monarch. So at, at least there, it's it's like you're kind of trying to deconstruct to, to make something accountable. But when me and you get together and we decide as buddies, hey, you know what? 
you know, we're two guys with beards. We're going to start the Bearded Society. And we're going to fight for men's beard rights. And that we're fighting for our own people, us and ourselves included. So creating an organization like that is good. But then to turn it into something that's completely unaccountable or and there's zero transparency to the peop to your own people. Like that just seems ridiculous to me. It's it's such a farce that these guys call themselves government when all they are is a colonial lobby group that gets paid. And and it I don't know. If you want to represent your people, I mean I mean, why are you trying to screw your people over? Or hoard all the money at the top. Like clearly exactly. this, this is a an agency. That is so well funded that it has an $8,000 a day travel budget. Yeah. I mean, wow. Right. If you had 12 people working there, you know, we could, uh, I could be visiting the uh, indigenous <laughs> people of the, the Caribbean islands and, yeah. uh, the, you know, I, I hear, oh, yeah. you know, those, those indigenous people in Tahiti should see. Lots of indigenous You know, in should definitely know what the, the Métis people here Absolutely. are about and, you know, definitely the, uh, you know, Hawaiians and the Maori all should be well informed. Absolutely. At $8,000 a day. In fact, Métis people you know, we were talking about boats earlier. You, we mm -hmm. need, you should, we should need to buy a sailboat put a Métis flag on it, and sail around the world spreading the gospel of Métis people at eight, for $8,800 a, a day. day. Yeah, for... Per day. Know, I, I'd be happy to do that on behalf of the Métis people for far less than that. <laughs> I'll do it for half. 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 Half that money, no problem. You provide the boat and give it to me, and oh, then I'll do it for, for half. for that kind of money, I'd go all in. I'll buy the boat. <laughs> <laughs> so the other part of this is uh, go through some of the top funders. And, of course, they're all Government of Canada. So we got Parks Canada, Employment and Skills Development Canada, Environment Canada, and Health Canada on top of INAC, which is the biggest. But those were all departments, the main, the biggest funders within this. So my question is, what did Parks Canada fund for, I think it was close to a quarter million dollars? So Parks Canada kicked the MNC 250000 Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was several it. hundred thousand dollars. For what? What program? What what so service in, was provided? Well, yeah. So we, I'd like to know what park in Canada the Métis National Council is running a program. Well, well or, that's just it. Or doing something. What are we, what park are we doing something in in Canada? Yeah. Um, or are they giving us money to stay out of the park? Well, and, and exactly, and and all of these things. So when you go on the MNC's website, there is no programs and services available. Like you go to the MMF and the yeah, you know Alberta and BC, they do have some programs and services as little, little as they are. But these guys have nothing on their website that they provide. So what's Parks Canada funding them for? Um, what's Health Canada funding them for? What health programs did they run in 2018? Yeah, so again, is this is this money that they're being paid by the parks and by health yes. for their own use? Yeah, like it's but, going into their funding. Uh, yeah, so are they getting $250,000 in free park passes and... I don't know what what the no, is know. Health Canada paying for all their benefit plan? It's yes, I don't know because it's not going to anybody else. The I money know. didn't leave their office. Yeah, it got consumed in and it is being budgeted in office. And it was the way it looks on their financials is it's all pooled together into a, a main in a single pool, and then they just draw out all their expenses from that. So what what did Parks Canada fund? What did Employment and Skills Development fund? What what did they fund? You have no way of knowing. Because that's all it's listed is that they, you know, Parks Canada put this much into the pot. That's it. 
There's nothing yeah, to correlate. Yeah, that's baffling that. because what in the wide world of sports is Parks Canada <laughs> doing putting money in there? Well, but and and think about this from a non-indigenous taxpayer standpoint. Yeah. This looks shady. This just looks dirty. And as a taxpayer, what I want to know what Parks Canada's funding the MNC to do. I would understand more if Parks Canada was giving that money to the MMF, to Métis Nation Alberta, Métis Nation BC. Well, well here's the thing. I get it. Parks, but, Parks Canada is Parks Canada, and Baff and, yeah. and Jasper are both national parks. Right. So if this, you know, the management firm that looks, from the colonial point of view, the management firm that looks after Banff and Jasper mm-hmm. has kicked to the MNC at the federal level, the federal Métis people. Yes. 250 grand. Right. To do what in relation to parks? So then, my question: Do all Métis now get into all national parks for free? Yeah, did we just buy? Like, if if I have an MNA card, I can go to Ontario and get into all the national parks for free. I don't think it works that way. No, and that's the problem: is that we parks, yeah. what did Parks Canada pay the MNC to do? Mm-hmm. You know, and then I'd, I'd even be understanding if there was some kind of breakdown of Health Canada saying they're going to run a, a quarter million dollar uh, totally a benefit plan. Yep, for the people who work at the MNC. But that also wouldn't that, be considered income. No, that you know. But I, I'd understand kicking that money into the pot if it was Health sure. Canada that's saying we're going to put this money in the pot and that's for a health program, for yep. for a benefits program for your teeth and your dental and what for have sure. you for the people that work at the MNC. Yeah. If you can actually break it out that way. Yeah, but you can't. You can't. It's this money that mm-hmm. goes into this invisible black pot. And, and no then it's crapshoot. Yeah. But again, I'm still baffled. I don't know what the hell. What is Parks Canada doing? Well, and, and so did, those... Did, are... Hey, did they all get a Park Rangers outfit? <laughs> maybe they got a cool hat. Yeah. Oh, maybe they got the, the beaver to visit them or something. I don't know. But that's that's one of the things that really stood out for me was that these guys are funding them. And Métis people have no way to find out what was funded. So... Not only do you have a question, well, what does this MNC even do? But what do they get funding for? What are they getting funding from Health Canada for? Yeah. They're not providing a health program. They're getting funding from Environment Canada. They're not providing environment. Nothing to do with the environment. There's no environment courses. They're not employment and skills development. There's no employment and skills development program. Again, if there was so, something that they were saying, we're providing this money set aside so you can get your asses to training. Yes. Or... Further in career development. Yep. I get that. But really what this looks like is two shady dudes. So I got yes. a big corporation. Yep. But I can't give you all the money from just one of my bank accounts. So I'm going to slide you a bunch of money from a bunch of my different bank accounts. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to pull money out of the Caymans and my other ones, mm-hmm. you know, my Swiss bank account so that you can yes. fund your operations. And I don't look like I just slid you a big fat check. Yes. So I can increase because what it really looks like is the government has used these agencies to top up the funding. And, and that's what it looks like. It, it looks like a, a, a government version of money laundering. Yeah. So they kept the government's yeah. main account stayed fairly static to what it was the year before. Mm-hmm. And they're using these other bank accounts yeah. to increase the MNC's funding. Yep. Now, uh, one of the things that was interesting too is um, when you look at their budget, so they got a total revenue of, what was it, seven point nine. Almost, almost eight million dollars. They're like fifty grand off from eight million dollars. So, and how long has the MNC been around? Since nineteen eighty three, correct? As, as the Métis National Council. You think in all that time that they could find a way to generate their own income? 
So how much how much of their funding do you think, Jason, was uh, from other revenue sources other than government? They actually list this other revenue. It source. says other revenue, which is not which I'm assuming is non government. Did they make a hundred grand? Oh come on, that's a little too optimistic, don't you think? I don't know. You got eight million dollars, <laughs> eighty three thousand six hundred and two. Wow. Which likely doesn't even cover one salary. Um, so that's uh, about 1% of their income came from sources other than government. So in 30, almost 40 years, 38, 35-ish years, whatever it is, um, they have been able to use government funding to generate income of $83,000 for themselves. So you want to talk about uh, self-sustaining? No, that's not happening. So basically what we're saying is the government of the Métis people is only there and exists because of the gracious kindness of of Justin Trudeau's heavenly, yes. you know, halo That's of, right. of funding. His heavenly graces. Uh, yeah, so we are, our government, our Métis yeah. government exists at the good graces of the crown. It's funny you should mention it like that. So now my question is what happens if the economy kind of goes down and we have to make cutbacks? What do you think is going to happen to their their revenue? It's probably going to go down, I think. And again, what the last three episodes we've talked about how when you slash when the governments come in, they slash these budgets. I guarantee they're not staying at eight million dollars for the next twenty five years. As soon as there's another government, they're back down to three to five at the most. Yeah, so, well, you know, we talked about that because we know that uh, no matter how much Justin Trudeau is the second coming of the big man himself, that he's not going to be in power forever. Yes. You know, his reign shall not be eternal. Yes. Um, and therefore, by definition, that that's going to end. Yeah. And it's really sad to see that after an $8 million investment, this year alone, are we have still the same unaccountability, the same yep. gross, you know, inequity in reporting yep. uh, and accountability. We still have a government, a Métis government, that serves at the good graces of the crown. Absolutely. And that, that without the crown, you know, that settler colonial government that yep. was so benevolent to us in the past and ensuring <laughs> yeah. that we got to live on the roadside, that we got the great privileges of being in residential schools mm. and having that free housing, you know, that they're, they're you know, what could yep. go wrong with us being in a continual non-ending position of being beholden to them. Absolutely. You know. Well, and the, I mean, when 99, over, after over 30 years, and you still receive 99% of your funding from the federal government, like, that to me says you have no... You're, you're not doing anything. You're not really providing anything to anybody. Well, and I think what we really need so, to be looking for is if we want to truly, you know, put on our indigenous big boy pants here and get real down to the nitty-gritty of this, what this really says to us is that we have never faced a more staunchly anti-indigenous mm-hmm. right than we do right now in Canada... You know, the boys yeah. in blue are no friend to Indigenous people. And if we thought things were so fun under Harper, I don't think we've seen the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Uh, so when those guys inevitably are going to get in, yep. Ford is not the end of this. He's the beginning. Nope. Exactly. And I think people need to wake up to the fact that I don't think the funding could get cut. I think it might disappear. Absolutely. I mean, look, at, oh, where is it Brazil mm-hmm. that just elected yeah, that dude? And he's like staunchly, he's going to eliminate Indigenous land. What's to stop a prime minister here doing that? Well, there's nothing to say that, like, that's the problem is 
The MNC is not constitutionally protected. Its funding is not enshrined in Section 35. Absolutely not. And anybody who thinks so is delusional. Yeah. You know, you know, Section 91 doesn't guarantee is not some entrenched thing again. It says nothing it says about the, funding. the MNC and the MF's funding shall go on for perpetuity, you yeah. know, without end. Yeah. There's nothing to say that the minute mm-hmm. the Harper, you know, next Harper 2.0 gets in here, yeah. that this is not all over. Absolutely. And in a big way. Because the real problem is Justin has set this up under the Trudeau government as a huge portfolio. All Indigenous yes. monies are now so massive. It's such a huge line yep. item on the budget that you know yep. when the boys in blue get in and they're seeing the deficit that the federal government is running right now, where are they going to turn? They're going to slash it. Well, they turn where they always do. Yeah. Indigenous people. Exactly. I mean, the the reality is, is they were willing to cut. They, when Harper was in power, he shut down and shuttered nine Veterans Affairs offices. Now, if there's anything that tugs on the heartstrings of Canadians, it's veterans, which it should. He was willing to shut those offices down completely mm-hmm. and fire, let go all the staff and shutter them. Those are offices that served veterans and provided benefits to them. This is a Métis National Council that serves what purpose? Well, really, So from a government standpoint, what purpose does it serve? Yeah, it's a yes, man. But you know what? I can eliminate $8 million and I don't even need to talk to them. And I think that's the problem is, is we don't understand. I think Métis people have lost the sight of the fact that at best there's 600,000 Métis people in all of Canada. Yeah. Who Whose national representative organization receives $8 million. Yes. Compounded by what each one of those provincial organizations yep. reach. So Métis people by population of 600,000 of us get a disproportional amount of money. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're looking at other agencies in Canada... Uh, and the amount of money per person that those organizations are receiving in funding, Métis people have far exceeded yeah. that norm. And if you think that's going to magically just get better or continue past the next election, I think people are you know, living in you know, the nice fairy world. Well, they absolutely are. I mean, they're, they're living in a world where they can travel around to Peru constantly mm-hmm. and on for free. And I mean, these guys have had 30 years of free life. They've made a, a huge wage. Likely they have a, a good pension that they're not paying for, just like Audrey here in Alberta. And they've got to travel the world on taxpayer money. For what? What have they provided? They haven't even created a quote-unquote constitution for themselves in 30 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, there, was a, there was a bill here in Alberta, and totally not related to this, but... Uh, they made it so that when if doctors get charged or convicted of sexual assault, they can or sexual issues, um, crimes, they can no longer be a doctor forever. And uh, there was some politicking, but the UCP was using this as oh, we would be tougher at first, and blah blah blah. But the the point is, is when the conservatives were in power in Alberta, they didn't do it for forty four years. They never made that law, and that's kind of what this is, is for thirty years. You've not made yourself self-sustaining. You've not done anything or really provided anything for anybody other than travel the world and go to meetings. And if the government of the day says, we're not doing that, you say, damn it, I'm upset and walk out. And that was the meeting. Or if the government of the day is like Jesus Trudeau and says, oh, we'll give you $8 million, you say, we've won a great victory for Métis people. No, you haven't. You've increased your bud, your travel budget is all you've done. Mm-hmm. 
It's professional fees and your uh, traveling yeah. expenses went up. I'm not sure what Métis people had to do with it. And I, I think the reality is if we're looking at the long haul, you know, if we yes. look back seven generations and we can say we haven't been able to create a self-sustaining, independent Métis government. Yes. Well, when we look ahead seven generations, are we taking any steps? Exactly. Is there any site, anything in this budget? Yep. Any any line item we could look at that would give you hope to say we're moving to something where we Métis people can truly own ourselves yeah. and not you know, not really be owned by the government. And I mean, how hard is it to create a business that you can make a little bit of money at? I mean, we're not talking you have to become the next Bill Gates. You know, you don't have to be the next Mark Zuckerberg here. We're talking $8 million. So to generate $8 million in today's world economy, it actually isn't that tough, really, if you had 30 years to work on it. Well, I mean, if somebody said, Jason, I'm going to give you all the money you need to live and pay your bills and pay you a wage, all you have to do is over the next 30 years create a company that makes $8 million a year, could you not do that? Hmm. (laughs) And and that's the whole point is we don't see any budgetary discretion here out of these portfolios to say we're going to invest in land, in real estate, in pick pick anything that there is. Absolutely. In hard asset that you could create even to keep their doors open. Yes. Like to own your own office space, to to do those kinds of things so that if hard times come and funding, which inevitably in this market will dry up. Yeah. And given the boys in blue (laughs) is going to go down big time. Absolutely. To keep the doors open. To yep. keep the offices going, to keep the phones open, to keep people you know, employed, to keep like, people employed and keep whatever, I don't know, fictional programs and services you are providing, the benefit of you being there mm-hmm. would continue. I mean, if the Métis National Council is that vital, that critical to the construct of Métis government and this Métis homeland, you think they would be striving at all ends to make sure that it endured. Absolutely. And yet we see that the reality in another budget. That yep. the minute the, you know, Justin Jesus Trudeau is over, so yeah. are they. Yeah. And I mean, even honestly, even if you were to just say, okay, well, you know what? Out of this, out of all of our budgets, we're going to take, I don't know, 15% and we're just going to invest that. Um, like the Ontario teachers are famous because they've invested their money mm-hmm. in, and that's where they get their pension payout. So if you had done that over the last 30 years, taken let's say even a million dollars over 30 years and invested it in funds like that. Can you imagine the type of revenue well, do, you'd do be generating? Well, do compound interest, even if you did 250000 over the last 15 years. Yeah. Where, where things have gradually been getting better. Yeah. Where they've got established, where they've been getting fairly yeah. consistent up and down. But money, you mm-hmm. know, at a, at a mere $250,000 a year, we would have a Métis government that would be have the ability to be independent from the, gov- the federal Absolutely. government. Absolutely. And therefore, would be able to be in a place to actually lobby, to be in a place to be, you know, much more aggressive in pursuing our own course of action. Absolutely. It's very hard to bite the hand that feeds you $8 million a year. Yeah, like what are they going to stand up to Trudeau and say, no, no, you're you're pissing us off. And he's going to go, okay, well, I'm going to take this little check away. Mm. No, they're going to say, yep, whatever you want, Jesus, you betcha. It, you is, the man. Is it any reason when you see these mass budget increases through these different, you know, crown shell corporations... Is there any reason we see the language being used? Yeah. By the MMF and the MNC and the MNA? Yeah. You know, it's no wonder they think that Justin Trudeau is the second coming of Christ himself. Yeah, look at their budgets. Like, man, if, if I got, if the government came to me and said, Jason, you know, your, your little locksmithing business, we think that's just amazing. Yeah. You know, here's a couple hundred extra thousand dollars yeah. <laughs> because we think you need to do better. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, yeah, 40% increase to my bottom line because the government thought I was a super dude yeah. changes my life. <laughs> I'd be saying the same thing. <laughs> I, I can almost guarantee you know, you'd just, be voting liberal. Yeah, Justin Trudeau is the second coming of Christ. Absolutely. You know, money is raining from heaven. <laughs> you know, the manna is on high here, folks. But that's the problem. Yeah. Is it's not. This is a political corporation. Yeah. Absolutely. funding through shell organizations into the MNC. Absolutely. And the, you know what and what's interesting on their website too is they have they they have all these little portal websites. So I started clicking on them and they're there that's really going into the rabbit hole now. But uh so they have all these documents on these portal websites which are like their uh, governance model and and structure and things like that. So I think what these were meant to be was materials where they could meet with the other, you know, presidential people and talk about, is this the right structure? Can we change it? What can we make better? But what's interesting is all of that stuff was done pre-2012. So all of that stuff that I could find on those portal websites that were functioning was all done before Trudeau. So there's been no... Like they have uh, Métis Nation constitutional reform documents mm -hmm. that haven't been updated since 2012. Uh, they have reports on Métis Nation electoral reform that haven't been updated or changed since, you know, 2011. Um, so where, what, what, what are we, what is the government paying for? Because they're clearly not paying for any of this stuff to be updated. Or they keep talking about on their website that they need a constitution. Where's their constitutional documents? They're not even there. Mm -hmm. Well, we so, can't even we can't even you know be Alice and jump down these rabbit holes to yeah. to see where there's even an update status. Exactly. Where, where in all this time we can even see progress and where these documents are going or how they're being improved or that yeah. they're even under construction. Yeah, and these are so they're just they look like they're just dead documents hanging on out there in these portal websites. Um, but all of that was done during Harper's time. Mm -hmm. So for Jesus Trudeau. What is what is he buying? He's not buying anything. He's buying travel. He's buying yeah yeah he's buying travel. He's, he's not yeses. buying he's not buying constitutional reform. He's not buying like electoral reform. He's paying you to travel. Well, and it screams to me like when we look at uh, we talk about those eighty seven million dollars in hydro deals the MMF lost last week, um, which was basically hush money. It mm -hmm. was we'll pay you to shut up and not oppose us. That's all it was. To me, that's exactly what we got going on. We'll give you eight million dollars. Just say yes to everything. Don't oppose anything. Absolutely, you're Jesus. I got your phone. I got a phone ring on my bedside table for the, for just the, for you. For when the good Lord calls, you can answer. So now I want to compare what they had to another Métis organization, and this one is Fort Norman Métis Community, and they announced that they are going to make be making payments this year uh, before Christmas of. I think it was a little over $1,100 or right around 1100 to each of its members based on their share of the trust that they had set up years and years and years ago. And I think it was the Satu Trust or something like that. So this, organ so, so this organization took money from the government, set up a trust, and then they've built that trust up and they've generated revenue out of that trust, not only to cover their costs and expenses and everything, but now they've got surplus, which they are going to pay to their 360 some members, almost $1,100 this year. So this is a community-based organization here and they provide 
programs such as elder assistance, prizes and scholarships for high school students, bereavement assistance, and other programs. So they offer all these programs, and they're still able to pay their members $1,100 a year, or this year, which is more than the MNC offers for programs. Just take a minute. If you're listening to the show, break out your calculator. Yeah. How many members? About, I think it was 367. 367 times $1,100. Exactly. See, that's an accountable number. Yes. See, that's transparency in financing. So not yes. only were they obviously seven generations yes. ahead, they they took you know the initiative to do that. Here's an organization when we talk about, you know, I think people, if they think we're vague a lot of times or they don't think we're concrete enough, this is concrete. That's what programs and services means. Yes. Programs and services means elder assistance. Yep. It means bereavement assistance. Yep. It means, holy crap, here's an organization that delivered cash money. Yes. Into somebody's hand. Yeah, and for those who don't have a calculator, that's over a little over $400,000 delivered to its members. So not only did they pay their all their expenses as a community organization, paid for all their office and all their equipment and all that stuff, all those same expenses that the Métis National Council and the whole cartel organizations have, rent and probably wages and all that, and the programs that they offer, which is different from the MNC, which offers zero programs, these guys also paid their members $1,100. So out of the $8 million, how much did the Métis National Council shoot out to the Métis people in a form of a check Yeah, right before Christmas? Zero. And yet here we have the little organization that pays out almost a half million dollars. Yeah. To its members. Because, and, and it's funny, they set up, they, 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 I don't know if they set it up as partners with a bunch of other people, but there's a trust set up where they create, they generate income, and that income goes into their community. And then that way, if government funding doesn't come through, guess what? You have funding coming in from your trust still. It's amazing how that would be working. Yeah, what a novel concept. <laughs> so a, a minute ago, we were talking about how uh, a lot of this stuff, and I said, well, that's going to lead into the second thing I want to talk about tonight, which we're not going to spend a lot of time on because we've only got about 15 minutes left, but... Um, I, uh, I noticed somebody posted something online today and I thought it was interesting because about, it was a little over three months ago that the Métis Nation of Alberta had their annual general assembly, assembly. And at the annual general assembly, it was decided and voted upon and, uh, the provincial council was forced to, to agree to reinstate the Métis Judiciary Council. Now, for those outside of the cartel who might not know, the Judiciary Council here in Alberta was the uh, governing body on how to on dispute resolution. So if I had a complaint against how my Region 1 was spending money, I could take it there and submit it, and they would inter- investigate and come up to a decision. Decision was final. Mm-hmm. So it was a segregation between, I guess, the Provincial Council and the people so that they could get some justice. Reach, yeah, binding arbitration. Sort of like a court system, an informal court system, I guess, yep. is really what you're looking at. Or even much like a union has, right? Where yes. if you have two discord, you know, if you have the, like we had in Whitecourt, the school board was at loggerheads with the the administration, and so they brought in binding arbitration. Yeah. And made them settle the dispute. That's right. And this this body was the, the decision maker. Mm-hmm. So they disbanded that a number of years ago. Uh, Audrey and her cadre of people just went in and said, eh, you're done. Gone. Um, and they did that at a time where Audrey herself had several complaints that were going to be brought forward to the Judiciary Council. 
to be investigated, and then suddenly the judiciary is dismembered. So, coincidental, I'm (laughs) sure, because we all believe in coincidence, don't we? Now, so at the AGA, it was determined, we need to reinstate this immediately. And the words immediately were in there. It's been three months, and guess what? Do you think it's been reassembled? 90 days is hardly immediate. (laughs) It has not been assembled. And so, I want to circle back... And just remind people that we have talked about this before as well. But what makes, if you're going to call yourself a government, what makes up a government? And I would think if you're going to be calling yourself a government, you should have, I don't know, some sort of dispute resolution system or a court system or some sort of legal system in order to say you're a nation of people with its own government and you're self-governing. Even we talked about it several episodes ago about the very definition of the word government. And there's all kinds of yes. of abilities to have real government. In Canada, our model is based on a multi-party, two-house system. Yes. To create checks and balances. Absolutely. And we don't have that. We don't. There's no such thing. We don't. And so the very fact that we would be talking about, that was supposed to be like the equivalent of an upper house. Yes. In Métis governments. Yes. And the fact that you can't have one house abolish the other house. Yes. It doesn't work that way. No. And yet that's exactly what we have because what we, what we keep circling around to in this discussion is that it is not a government. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the, the Alberta government came right out and said that no matter the language that the MA uses, it is not a... Government. Government. It can't be a government. Nope. And so I think the challenge is, well, we can argue and shake our fists that that's just the colonial oppressor trying to keep us down and yes. keep us from having our own government. But if we were really interested in having our own government, well, by God, let's form a real government. Well, and it's great to shake your fist and say, goddamn colonial government. But the truth is, is then we turn to their court system to just figure out all our disputes. But we can't even emulate that. So. You mean like we can't even yeah. create an organization that actually has a two-house multi-party nope. system. We create an oligarchy, essentially, and then try to, to shake our fist at the provincial government and, and get them to recognize our oligarchy as, yeah. as official government. Absolutely. And they go, well, you can't be crazy. It's not democratic. Absolutely. So it's... Uh, <laughs> Because we just finished with uh, Remembrance Day, um, I just want to remind people that after the end of the World War II, uh, mm-hmm. there was several studies regarding the classification of various forms of government were conducted. Among these was, and has been intensely discussed by historians and politicians, scientists, the conceptualization and definition of, of the dictatorship form of government. And eventually it was concluded that dictatorship is a form of government which absolute power is concentrated in the hands of a leader or a small clique or a or a government organization, and it aims uh, the and its aims the abol- abolition of the political pluralism and civilian mobilization. So you have when you look at the Métis governance structure with the MNC and the whole way the hard cartel is set up. If you're an MNA member and you go to move to Saskatchewan, you are not an MNS member. You have to reapply, submit. So there's no mobilization. Um, and there's, there's no pluralism within those governments. It's one small group of people at the top has all of the power and authority. Well, last time I checked, the uh, the head chief, the, the president with his presidential seal, was elected by how many people? Yeah, it was like whatever. 55. 55, yeah. yeah. How is that? I mean, if we were talking, you know, we just, like you said, we went past Remembrance Day. If we were standing in our ancestors' shoes looking at... Yeah at the toppling of, of fascist communist governments. And we now jumped into the year 2018 and looked at the M&A government through those same eyes. 
you know, yeah. through World War II eyes. Yeah. Would we see that as true, transparent, accountable, you know, Absolutely. democratic yeah. government? No. No, not at all. Not, not at all. In fact, we would be fearful of it because it would represent so much of the things our ancestors, you know, fought and died for yeah. in World War II and World War One. Absolutely. And when you look at the way the MN, the whole cartel structured, where the original provincial bodies have more votes than the other two, BC and Ontario, because BC and Ontario came later, so they don't deserve the same amount of votes for some reason. If Let's apply that to Canada, just that one part of their governance structure. Let's apply that. So we elect our provincial premier. And then so is it the... Would Canada then say that the original provinces of, you know, Maritimes, Quebec, and Ontario get 75% of the vote, and the rest of the provinces that came later get, including a couple of Maritime provinces, but all those that came later get the remaining 25%? That seems like a really fair system on how to pick a prime minister for a country. Mm. And essentially, if you use these guys' language, that's exactly what they're saying. Is yeah. Saskatchewan... Alberta and Manitoba have all the power. And BC and Ontario are like, oh, welcome to the family, kids. You go sit at the children's table on the side. How is that fair? Even within their own structure, how is that fair? That makes no sense. I know, and then you compound that with mobility issues where, you know, you can't... There isn't a Métis National Council card. No. So it's powerless to issue any membership. Membership is dictated by the province, and then... It's restricted by the province. So you, like you said, you you count out, you restrict down that mobility of Métis people. And so we who once were probably the most mobile people ever on this land are now by our own organization restricted by colonial provincial boundaries. Yeah. You know, how how did that come about and how do we let that come about? You know, it's ridiculous. Well, and actually in those portal websites, there's an interesting document about how they picked the boundaries. So... If you ever get a chance, you know, and you have an hour or two to read some really exciting stuff, um, but the, and the, and like you said, with the mobility. So let's say I'm a I'm card carrying M and A member. I you can't get more M and A than me, and I move to Nova Scotia because I got a job out there doing something. Well, now I'm out. I'm there's nobody now. I can't even apply to anybody to be Métis anymore. My card means nothing. It does nothing for me. So. When you have this East first West bullshittery, well, really, you're screwing your own people if they decide to move somewhere outside of your geography. And we've talked about that immensely on this show. So if you look at their governance structure where you got all these provincial bodies and some have more power, some have less power, then you have a weirdly elected national body. Why do you even have all these bodies of government? Like, if, if the government of Canada was to come in and say, absolutely, you guys are a government, you guys can tax your own citizens... We're still charging our tax, though. But you guys have taxation powers. You got all that. That would mean that the MNAs, like if you're just a member on the ground, you're going to pay. It's like a, it will be a mafia. Then you're paying up to the local level, which goes to your regional level, which goes to your provincial level, which goes to your national level, and then on top of that, you still got to pay your municipal, provincial, and federal taxes from the colonial side. There's like seven levels of government there. What do Métis people need all that government for? I mean, as efficient as government is. Well, and I think that's what going over the budget really shows us, is that if it was government, at least it could be as um, effective. 
yeah. uh, as colonial government. Like, I think that's the, the sad part of this whole discussion when we, we get into these politics is we should be as Métis people because we're a small group, yeah. have more accountable government, Absolutely. have better government because we're not Absolutely. talking about 30 million people. No. You know, we're talking about a half a million people. And we're talking about people that have a similar, supposed to have a similar col- uh, culture, a similar, similar interests, a similar uh, goal of mm-hmm. where we want to be as a people. But there's no, you're not even accountable to your own people. It's, when they talk about corrupt chief and council, I think this would be probably the best example of that. So. Money that goes nowhere. $8 million that provided what service? To to a single Métis people, person other than the people that worked for them. Yeah, unless you happen to be there. And I think that's, you know, we keep coming back to this, but the thing that really drives me and really, it, it makes me shake my head about the future of Métis people and it makes me most concerned is the fact that we use language that doesn't have a value anymore. Yep. You know, I I think when we look at historic Métis leadership, I think the words had meaning, it had impact, Mm -hmm. and it it changed and altered Métis people's lives in their own communities. Yes. And instead now we have, I think, highly colonized leadership that has learned the political game of just using buzzwords to baffle with BS. Yes. Joe Citizen, Joe Métis Citizen, and they think because we have high-paid people in high-paid office with fancy bead vests that somehow whatever they're telling us is right. Yeah. But the proof is in the pudding because we are, you know, we're still living on the roadside. Well, I'd like to see if people just hypothesize for a minute. If when, when Riel... Um, was in Red River, and they, the federal government of the Canada at the time walked in and said, hey, Riel, here's the equivalent of whatever that times $8 million worth of funding for your government. Do you think he would have been like, sweet, I'm buying a new cart of a couple of horses, and I'm traveling Canada? Like, Or do you think he would have done something for his people? More than go to meetings and talk well, a lot. I, I think the real thing is, is I think this is where the vision's been lost because yeah. when Riel set up his provisional government, was it a government only by Métis people, for Métis people alone? Yeah. No. He didn't. He had the he had the Métis people. Yep. So he had Métis people, and then they had the, the half-breed people, then he had the settler people, yep. and he had the First Nations people that made up the provisional government. Yeah. He already had a multi-partied system yes. set up under Métis government yeah and here we are all this time later and we have been reductive so reductive in nature yeah that we've reduced metis people to a singularity or geographically yep. and now we've reduced metis government from a almost five-party representative system yep to one yeah you know so how are how can we have you know transparency when you have one person in charge that answers to no one Exactly. At least Trudeau, whether he has to or not, still physically gives up, stands up in the house and has to give an answer yes. when he's asked a question. Yeah. And here we have in Alberta and at the at the federal level, nothing. There's no, you know, when bylaws are talked about, when, they, when policies yeah. are discussed, when funding comes up, where's the discussion? Where's yeah. the, where is that mechanism in place if we're really talking about somebody who says, yes, I'm... I'm a government leader. Yeah. I'm a minister of a portfolio from 18 people. Yeah. How did that come about? Absolutely. And and there would be, you know, much more 
um, opportunities to question leadership, to ask leadership, not question their leadership, but question them on, well, where are we with harvesting rights? Where are we with these things? Let's get that information out there. Let's, there were more than once a year at an annual general assembly. And, and that is, you know, and that's really what this boils down to is they're, it's, they're a government when it's convenient for publicity and to, to, to tell people things. But they actually, as a as a nonprofit society, when it's convenient and it hides them from the responsibility of being a government, and then as soon as they, but as soon as it's convenient, they'll go back to being a government, back to it, and and that's the way they like it, because they're really not accountable to anybody. They know that if they violate their own bylaws, unless you have a contract with them, the Alberta courts and the and federal courts are going to go. Well, it's not a our problem. They're your bylaws. Figure out, you guys supposed to have a dispute resolution. It's on you. And that's what the court said in that one lawsuit was, mm-hmm. you can't sue them for violating their bylaws. That's not, that's not a law. It's their non-profit society guidelines, really. So they hide behind that when it's convenient, and then they go around saying they're a government and, a na- and, you know, and representing a nation of people, but they don't act like it. They don't take the responsibility, and there's no accountability, no transparency. And then... As far as I'm concerned, there never will be until there's massive, massive revolt from the ground up. Well, yeah, I think you're right. I think in light of the fact that we went by Remembrance Day, if we looked at the dictatorial nature of the cartel, its lack of accountability, its lack of yep. transparency, its lack of regulatory reform on Métis identity and Métis membership, and lack of mobility issues, this should really concern us as an organization uh, of people yeah. that we would we would willingly support um, a structure that would do that to us. Absolutely. We wouldn't support it if it did it to somebody else. Right. You know, we'd be up in arms about it. Absolutely. Um, and and for me, I think that's what this boils down to is if we, why would we support an organization that oppresses and, you know, is unaccountable with millions and millions of dollars yeah. across its layers we would never put up with that if we were no. talking about any other jurisdiction, any other peoples within Canada. Yeah. Never mind the world. Absolutely. And yet here we are today, and this is what we talk about. Yeah. We talk about millions of dollars in financing, million dollars of funding that goes into blank bank accounts. We talk about people who stand up and say they're the president of this, the minister of that, like they have yep. some kind of language of government. But if they're really government, then we should be in a revolt. Absolutely. And I think the sad thing is Métis people have lost the fight to do so. And the reality yeah. is this will all crumble the minute their funding's all gone. Yeah. Well, and, and I think part of it is, is is what is the... Okay, let's say these guys get government status. Well, what does that mean to me as a Métis Nation citizen? And again, we go back to what we've talked about millions of times before. What does that mean? Does that mean now I'm paying another body of government another tax that's coming out of my wage? Are they going to... Like, what does that benefit me if they're a, a self-governing system? You're still paying federal taxes. You're still paying... Per- There's no getting out of that. Well, even, even... I mean, let's hypothesize. Let's let's put on our, our Justin Jesus Trudeau glasses for a moment <laughs> just to oh jump God. down the rabbit hole oh for God. a moment and pretend everything we ever hoped and dreamed for as Métis people came true. Yeah. So the Métis National Council is recognized as a constitutional form of government for Métis people, and then so it trickles mm-hmm. down to the provincial level. And in every province... Within the homeland, we are given lands. Yeah. Now, all you have to do is you got to sell your house. Yep. You got to give up your job. And you got to move. Land. Yeah. To go to this piece of dirt somewhere. Yep. 
of which there's nothing because yeah. you, they're in, it's Métis land. They're not giving you downtown Winnipeg. They're not going <laughs> to carve out a corner of Mill Woods. Yeah. Not and, Bay Street in you Toronto. Know, you're not going to get you know some suburb in Toronto. <laughs> Where they just kick everybody out. Here, just have Vancouver. You know, they're going to fall off the uh, anyway. Anyway, you know, they're just not going to empty the boroughs of a city or a metropolitan area <laughs> yeah. to hand it over. Yeah. I don't think Métis people, if Métis people don't got the fortitude and the fight left to fix an obviously corrupt, unaccountable government, quote. Yeah. They sure as crap don't got what it takes to move to the bush with nothing and form a brave new world. Right. From Métis people. Yeah. I don't care if they gave you access to all the resources. Every tree is your Métis tree. Every drop of oil in the ground is ours. Yep. Everything that moves and flies is ours. It won't matter. Nope. I don't think Métis people got what it takes. Well, and, and so I, what do you really have at the yeah. end of the day? Well, and that's just it. I mean, even, even if some of them had what it took, who wants to move? Like, I live in Calgary. If I was a Métis Nation citizen and they said, hey, look... All of our citizens have to move to the Slave Lake area because that's where we got land. Um, and so in order to be an MA citizen, you got to move to Slave Lake. I, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, my card's going in the garbage because I'm staying in Calgary where my life is. But that's my point is like, you have to sell your house. Yeah. Quit your job. It's crazy. And find, and then what are you going to do? So you got this yeah. huge, you know, carve out of country from 18 people. Yeah. You know, who's going to build that house? How are you going to get, you know, all the infrastructure? Who's going to pay for it? How, how are you going to even work? How are you going to pay for your cell phone bill? Who puts food in your mouth? Like, yeah. well, I don't care. So you start a Métis cell phone company who pays for it. How? You know, how do you pay for it? How do you start who, that company? You're who, not getting government funding anymore. Well, even if you did, who's got the money to buy the phone? Because you, exactly. you quit your job and sold your house. Exactly. To move to the woods. Right. So, like, like unless Métis people are going to say, yeah, man, we're cashing in big time and I'm going back to living in my, my wigwam teepee in the bush. The people got to wake up and realize this is a myth. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like, it's great to talk about self-government. What does that mean? Yeah. Does that does that mean you become your own municipality? Okay, but where? Well, like are I said, they're not clearing out so, a corner of Winnipeg. Yeah. And emptying all the people that live there and say, okay, now all these houses are from Métis people. Yeah. And that's the Métis part of town. And now you can tax that according to the municipality of, you know, Métis Zone 1. Right. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. So that... I think it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, we could go on. We, and we have gone on for hours about this. And I think that's the real problem, though. Like, all of this funding really goes to show you that the minute the funding ended, tomorrow, yep. if there was not one cent from the government to yep. support this organization, this whole conversation of Métis government, Métis rights, Métis everything would be gone. Yes. Because it actually doesn't mean anything. That's why there's no programs and services attached to it. Nope. It's because it doesn't actually mean anything. No. It, there's nothing here that Métis people are gaining an advantage from or for in relation to the federal government. Absolutely. Yep. And so if the blue guys got in and just shut shut it down, boom, it's open. Say we're not giving these these dudes any more money. What would it actually matter to any Métis person when you got out of bed in the morning? Well, that's just it. And when when you when you look at federal funding and you look at these things, okay, you know, we can talk about um, you know, constitutional obligations to Indigenous people. What does that mean on a federal level to Métis people? What is their obligation to you to recognize your rights under Section 9124? Okay, you have the right to harvest. That's a provincial responsibility. So realistically, and in a, in a doomsday kind of world almost, 
like you said, the, another government gets Let's not even blame conservatives. Let's just say another government gets in and says, why are we funding these guys? Like, we have no constitutional obligation to fund anybody. Mm-hmm. We're doing this out of the good graces because, and to Métis people, it might not be out of the good graces. We've earned it. But to them, from their standpoint, it's, you know, no, you've earned 9124. Well, you Good earned, for you. Yeah, you, you're, you're constitutionally recognized in Section 35. You have the yes. rights to programs and services under 9124. Yep. At what point did either of those allocate or are entrenched in some kind of funding well, for, it, for any of our organizations? There's absolutely. None. I mean, if you want to talk about you're, you're, um, you're eligible for health benefits, we have a free health care system. Mm-hmm. There's your eligibility. You're eligible for education. We have a public health education system. There you go. We've 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 obli- and you want harvesting rights? Talk to your provincial counterpart. So we've obli- we've met our obligations for ninety one twenty four and it, section thirty five. And even if they said, okay, we will provide funding for some programs and services under that fall within ninety one twenty four, the MNC isn't providing those. So they can literally look at the MNC level and go, you're doing nothing. You're providing no service, no program. So we don't need you. There's eight million dollars we just saved in our budget. Sweet. Well, then where does the MNC go? It disappears. And where does all the self-government and all these years, 30 years of of talk of a constitution and self-governance, it's all gone. Poof. And, and even at the provincial level, there's already organizations like Rupert's Land yep. that, that do education. Yep. So other than employment services that the MNA is offering, it could get its budget just knocked right down to nothing. Yeah. And we've seen that in the past too. So the reality is, this whole shell game of trying mm-hmm. to be Métis people and shake our fist and at the government of being self-identifying, self, you know, yep. real Métis people of the real homeland, it's really what we don't understand is I think that really if it wasn't for the honor of the crown, there wouldn't be any Métis organizations. There wouldn't. There'd be no funding. There would The settlements, but that's because they're a totally but different that's, thing. And that's right. That's Alberta registry only. Yeah, and they're they have under their own act. They have nothing to do with the MA really as far as a I know. And it's within the context of Alberta and Alberta alone. But yes. at, so at the federal level, even if the it could disappear. Yeah, because the federal by being on the settlement, you have harvesting rights. You have all these rights. You've met your section ninety one twenty four. You've got those rights there. Um so the rest of you, what do we need to fund you for? And and that's the reality of this because there's there is no no Indian Act for Métis people. There's no extra acts or legislation that will require the government to really do anything. And when you talk about programs and services, look at your Native uh, friendship centers. Mm-hmm. They provide a lot of programs and services open to all Indigenous. You look at there's a lot of urban Indigenous organizations that provide services to all Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And so really a lot of your Métis services and stuff would be found there. Uh, Métis and Child Services, Métis Family Child Services in Calgary. Um, maybe they receive some funding from the MA, but realistically, they're a, they're a child and family services organization. So, hey, if the government wanted to fund them, that's understandable, but that's also on a provincial level. So, really, what are these guys providing? Like, what does Audrey provide to drive around and go, we want membership for what? And also, what are they lobbying the government for? Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Like, when you really boil this down, we have an $8 million federal budget we're talking about, compounded by the millions of dollars at the provincial level. 
Yeah. But at the same time, when we're talking about legalities, the Section 35, Section 91, what are these guys actually lobbying for? Yeah. Where, where's the lawsuits? Where's the definition of terms? To make sure, at the very least, you'd think that at some point there'd be self-preservation that that a part of the programs and services for Métis would be in its own sustainable um, administration. Yeah. For its so-called governments, for its so-called portfolios that it provides yeah. for Métis people. And yet, at the end of the day, like you said, under both Section 35 and 91, the MNC's budget is not protected. No. And there is nothing in the future other than, I mean, and let's face facts, as the Canadian population grows and Métis people continue to be a smaller and smaller population, Yep. No matter our birth rates, we're never going to outpace immigration. No. So as Canada grows, Métis people will continue to be an ever and vastly you know, shrinking minority within the Canadian construct. Yes. So at what point does Métis people across Canada, you know, with our 20-some million dollar federal and provincial budgets, look like an obscene amount of money that you could obviously save? And when you're getting elected, you know, in downtown Edmonton, or any of these other boroughs, mm -hmm. who is going to say no to that vote? Yeah. If you're well, the guy saving $20, 30000000 million out of the federal coffers yeah. and provincial coffers, who's not going to vote for that? Absolutely. And, and I mean, that is that is the reality. And when you can't even get your own members to engage with your organization, then you're already fighting that losing battle. I mean, there's out of 33,000, I think we came up with 10% voted. So let's use that as the baseline. And that was a high vote. Percentage. Yeah, they had a huge turnout. That was yeah. a huge uptick. So if you say for all their programs and services, they get about 10% of the people taking part in their events, their program services, which I think would be excruciatingly high on a provincial level, I mean. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so if 90% of your own organization, your own members really don't participate, then the government could come in at any moment and look at that and go, well, why am I paying you for 33,000 members when you're only providing services to 10% to 3,000? How about I pay you for 3,000 members and we'll call that good? And I don't think it's going to be long before you see a government that comes in and does that. And I'm not saying that because I want to see that happen. I'm saying that because... When you step back and you take off the Métis hat and you say, now I'm just average Joe, non-Indigenous taxpayer. And that average Joe, non-Indigenous taxpayer says, you guys are getting, like you said, how much per person? But you don't even get, like, you're missing 90% of your people at, at anything you do. Why are we funding those people? So okay. it's, it when you're 99% funded by the government, bottom line is, that's gonna you're gonna get hurt. Well, and I think it, this is the inevitability. When you put on Joe Canadian hat, when you look at non-indigenous person, forget about the racism for a minute. Yes. Just look at the voter swing. Yeah. This is gonna boil down to sheer economics. Yep. And sooner or later, the check will come due. These budgets yep. are gonna get looked at. And I, the saddest part about all this, I think, the reality is we have to understand ourselves that when that happens, and it will. We yeah. won't make another eight years before we have huge budgetary cuts. Let's be really honest. Yeah. The Audrey, the Charchan, the, the people who are Church here yeah. won't be here. No, they won't. And so this bloodletting that will come to all these, but through all this budgetary cuts, 
is all going to be a bunch of fist-shaking Métis people who are all boohooing about their rights being trampled on by the federal and provincial governments. Yep. But, hey, you can rewind the show and say, we told you, it was coming. Yeah. And that's going to be the truth of the matter. It is. Yeah, because all of those people, they don't have, they're not running for another 25 years doing these positions. They're even, almost all of them are up for retirement at that age, and they all have said that, that they yeah. all only have a few terms left. Yeah. So like you said, when the, when the shedding starts, they're going to be gone, and they'll have walked away with nice pensions and lots of money in their jeans because they've made a good ca- cash all these years. Mm-hmm. They're going to be living comfortably in whatever you know urban place that they are, while Métis people are sitting here going, oh, you're not funding our government? How come? What happened? Yeah, when all the budgets are shot, Yeah, when the doors start getting closed, when the programs and what meager yeah. services we have all dry up, because of, of provincial and federal coffers. Yep. I mean, let's face facts. These guys are running deficits themselves. Absolutely. How long can that continue before they start freaking out? Right. You know, we're not going to yeah. go billions of dollars in debt provincially forever. No. We can't go billions of dollars federally in debt every year. Yeah. And when you're looking, like you said, the, the Métis people, how much money are we getting per person? Yeah. Well, a disproportionate amount. Well, and, and all of these MOUs and everything, all that is is a promise to sit down and have a meeting. All these MOUs that they've signed, they're not legal contracts that obligate anybody. If you read through them, all they are is they, like the MOU with the federal government is a promise to meet once a year with the prime minister and meet, I think, three times a year with INAC ministers. Great. So we have a meeting. We don't, nothing will ever come of that. Like, if you were not the true the the Jesus Trudeau government and some other government you could literally walk in and say okay well how's your day good okay well we met see ya but even if you sat there for f- even if you sat there for 4 hours totally you don't and you had coffee anything. and you bullshitted and you yeah. said you you could nod and you can smile at every Métis person yep. in that room for 4 hours absolutely and you were under no legal obligation to do anything right and i think that that's the real thing that Métis people need to wake up about is that it's good right now Right. Money's flowing in. The pro- lots, lots of promises. We haven't seen any money yet, but lots of promises. Yeah. But I'm not sure that the uh, any settler that's made a promise to Métis people has ever really cashed out. Right. And so the the thing is, I think right now it's all stars, and yeah. the sun is shining and it's warm on your face. Oh, totally. But I think the reality is, if we look at where we're standing, it ain't good. No, it's not. Because where the federal government stands isn't good. No. And we can't think that the settlers are just going to run deficits and yep. magically keep paying Métis people eight. And I mean, that's eight million this year. Are we going to have an inflationary budget increase next year? More than And the year after? Yeah. And the year after? So we're going to be running 10, $15 million budgets by the time, let's say, Trudeau gets in four more years after that. By you know, we're yep. looking at $10 million budgets. Like, that's where, not sustainable. At, at what point is, is that not obviously Yeah. going to hit the cut? You know, there's that line item. Well, yeah. You, you've gone over and it's noticeable now. And that's, so. that's the problem. Yep. Like at inevitability, if we're supposed to be looking and calculating for seven generations in the future, one doesn't have to look seven generations. Yeah, yeah. We look one and it's a dark horizon. There's big storm clouds on the horizon for Métis Absolutely. people. And if we don't... And what it's going to come down to is if we don't take steps now, it's gonna we're not going to no. have a choice, but no. it's going to be Batash all over again. If we're not willing to take up arms to defend ourselves and our rights, they're going to be gone. Well, but even there... What does the federal government provide Métis people for rights? All those rights have been delegated out to the provinces now. So 
all they are is a funding source now. Like, you want harvesting rights. That's provincial. Mm-hmm. You don't talk to Minister Bennett about your harvesting rights. Yeah. You want uh, health rights. That's provincial. You want educational rights. That's provincial. What? So what, if the cover, federal government said, we're not funding anybody that we are not legally obligated to fund, such as First Nations through the Indian Act, and even that will get shredded down to nothing, but they're going to fund them and maybe some Inuit through some other act, maybe, I don't know. But Métis people and all these organizations are not, they, there's no funding requirement. Well, but even under, even if you look at INAC, and now yeah. it's broke up into two, but the the programs and services, it's rolling out for First Nations people. Yes. If Métis people got the same thing, what is that? Yeah. So Métis people would get a little bit of, you know, basically not quite Blue Cross. <laughs> Yeah, you know, not as good. It's Trust not, you're, me, you're not it's getting, not as good. You're, you're, you know, INAC isn't providing anything that's as good as Blue Cross. Not so, nearly. So you get a little bit more than what you would get, the average Canadian would get, I guess, for healthcare. Yep. You might get a little bit of access to education. Yep. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that Métis people are well aware of the stereotype that education is not free. Yeah. No, there's no First Nations free education in INAC, so there would be no free education for Métis people. Yeah. So you get not quite Blue Cross. No more access to education. No. Nope. After that, we start trailing off pretty fast. Yeah. About what the federal government provides under the INAC 9124 that Métis people were supposed to win access to. Yes. So yeah. Section 35 is completely at the discretionary purpose of every provincial jurisdiction, like you said, of which we've already seen and yes. talked about on many shows. Yeah. And Alberta's version of enrolling poly when it comes to harvesting rights. And so... Yeah. This is a done deal, and we are slow, very quickly, getting painted into a very, very, you know, yeah. precarious corner. Absolutely. And I think it's going. The thing is, it's going to be too little, too late by the time most of the, oh, the thirty thousand Métis people with that plastic card in their pocket pull their head out of the sand. Yep. To go, holy shit! Yep. Being Métis and Indigenous in Canada, it doesn't mean anything. Well, and and really, okay, on the average of Alberta Métis. Um, who is part of that 90% that didn't vote, doesn't really participate, if the MA got their funding cut, what, how does that impact their lives? That's like, it's like when, I, when you talk about things like um, you know, gay marriage. For me personally, that really didn't affect my life when they brought that into power because I'm neither gay and I, you know, I, mean, I have friends that got married, but it wasn't a huge impact on my life. So if I'm an MA member and I just have my card and I never participate because I'm in that 90% and they lose all their funding and shut their, shut their doors. Okay. Yeah, the only change things is I now have an expired card in my pocket yeah, I have, that I can't renew. I have a piece of history plastic. Mm-hmm. And then I continue on about my day, pay my bills, go to work, feed my family, and know that I am Métis. And, and that's the sad thing. As a, as a, a Métis person who goes out and hunts, it wouldn't change because I can't harvest nope. right now. So I don't have access to that program. Well, but even if you were a Pali certified Métis, you don't need the MA. You can go mm-hmm. to Fish and Wildlife here in Alberta. There's forms that they have you can fill out. Yep. You don't need an MA card and No. They don't even hardly consider it. Where you go. Yeah, I know. I sat there. I talked to the minister, yeah. the bureaucrats in charge of the Pali, yep. you know, to get harvesting rights in Alberta, and they already told me right to my face that the M and A card would only be taken into consideration as part of your overall case. Yep. To prove that you passed the test. Yeah. So the MA in Alberta could literally dry up and disappear 
And it would make no difference. No. To any community, any organization, and definitely not on the settlements. So other than a few Métis people in a little shell, you know, society that own a little bit of land, you know, the Métis crossing there, uh, that's all they'd be. But that's a historic site, so that's totally different out too. And the other thing is, is that doesn't mean that your community organizations would dry up. They don't really get any federal or provincial funding much. Other than grants they apply for, just like every other nonprofit mm-hmm. that applies for them. So realistically, even if you were slightly, even somewhat engaged as a Métis Nation of Alberta member, the Métis Nation dries up. Well, guess what? I can still go to my local nonprofit. We can still bring in some mm-hmm. jiggers and have a potluck. We can have feasts. We can have celebrations yeah. all on the local level. So really, what what is the what does that MNA provide you? That's right. And for poly approved communities like Lac-Saint-Anne or any of those, nothing yeah. nothing would change because the provincial government recognizes them as a yep. historic Métis community. Absolutely. So nothing would change for them. Yeah. The government of Alberta has a list of historic Alberta Métis communities. And if you are Métis and you're from one of those communities, you can go apply for your harvesting rights out completely outside the MNA. And mm-hmm. let, let's pretend you get them. Well, if the MNA goes away, that affects you in zero. Yeah. And it, I, I speak of Alberta, but let's let's look at outside of these provinces, a lot of the organizations outside of the cartel. It's the same thing. If you have a group of people that have similar interests, you can form a nonprofit society, apply for funding grants, and if INAC has funding for Indigenous celebrations, you can apply and get maybe get some funding out of that. And then on a local level, you can have Indigenous celebrations. So even outside the cartel, even if they're, if they're not getting funding now, so like to have these huge governance structures really is almost irrelevant. It's the local level that matters, and mm. that's really it. I know. So for these million-dollar budgets, here we spent another night going yeah. over, you know, another $8 million in, in funding. Yeah. That at the end of the day, again, does it actually make a difference to any real Métis people at home yeah. in their houses when they get out of bed in the morning? And and sadly, no. No, it doesn't. So what, what have we done in 30 years of lobbying the government? Created an elite group. Of Métis people with the finest beads that we could find. Absolutely. In the greatest garb that we could get up. <laughs> and and really, we have lobbied the government for elite positions that we, a select few people, will fight tooth and nail to get into one of those cushy position jobs. Yep. For four or more, more years f- f- to earn that income. Yes. I mean... You you brought it up earlier. You want to talk about corrupt chief and council? You want to talk about mismanagement of funds? You want to talk about all power to the top? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, obviously, we Métis must be good at it because we did it better than them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I, you know, you said this earlier, and I, I know we got to wrap up because we're getting really long in the tooth now. But, um, you know, you talked about there's not even a Métis National Council card. So, realistically, if you were this nation, like, my citizenship, my my passport, my Canadian passport doesn't come from my provincial government. So why does, on a, on a Métis level, why does your card come from a provincial level? You're a citizen of a province? You're a citizen of a smaller group of people? No. You should be, if you're going to be a Métis nation, you should be part of the Métis nation, no matter where you live in this well, the world. Métis, I mean, they say the Métis homeland. Yes. You think there would be a Métis nation homeland card. Yes. That would give all Métis people rights and privileges within the homeland. Yeah. That's what my Canadian passport gets me. Yeah. All the citizenship rights and privileges of anywhere I live in Canada. 
Absolutely. And yet this Métis National Council on its $8 million budgets can't even issue a card. Yeah. It's for they national can't run a registry. So think of all the... So we got five different registries being run. And all of those millions of dollars being spent on those registries. When all of that should be done at the MNC level, one registry for all Métis in their homeland, and I'm, you know, air quotes, and they issue the damn card. And it's, like you said, good for the homeland. That's how you have citizenship. Now, we're two dudes from Alberta who aren't college educated, and it seems pretty basic. I mean, all you got to do is look at any government anywhere, <laughs> and lots of places have different provinces within themselves, but you don't get a provincial ID that's your citizenship ID. You get a nation's ID. Yeah, there's no Manitoba passport. Exactly. There, there's so, no Alberta passport. No. So I know we're really long in the tooth here. We should probably end it. Is there any last words you have for the massively crazy budget that they had? $8 million that tomorrow if it was gone, you probably would notice. Nope. And all we would do is be one short episode for next year. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so on that note, uh, if you enjoyed the show or you didn't, uh, send us an email at metispodcast at gmail.com. If you did love the show and you want to show your support because you you think we're awesome, head to our Patreon page. The link will be in the description. Buy us a coffee. That's right. Or you a know, tea. For the price of one Starbucks coffee per month or less, you can help support this show and take it to a whole new level if we want if we could. Um Otherwise, uh, I think that's it. I think I'm all spent here. I'm all talked out. So I hope you guys have a great week. Until next week, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses, a fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. <laughs>